This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPMLP Philadelphia, 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with news reports from members of the community. I'm Kathy Brown. And I'm Rashida Jamu. In the next half hour, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about this year's Walk to End Alzheimer's, the role radio station WURD plays in Philadelphia's Black community, and an artist who wants to change how people think about floral arrangements. But first, we bring you a story about Kimberly Kamara. She is a Germantown resident and advocate against gun violence. Through her organization name and other work she offers, support for those dealing with grief. But the heart of the narrative lies in her story of her son, Naeem Kyrie Johnson Tate. Naeem was shot and killed in 2017. My co-host Rashid Ajamu brings us this story about how a decision Naeem made before he died had a lasting impact on many people, including Kimberly. Kimberly Kamara found herself thrust into a life of advocacy after the devastating loss of her son, Naeem Kyrie Johnson Tate, to gun violence in the summer of 2017. Kimberly says her son was full of life at the time and he was starting to face up to new responsibilities as a father of a young child. Naeem was a 23-year-old young man, happy-go-lucky, silly young man, trying to find his way from childhood, you know, to adulthood and realizing now playtime is over, he's a father. He got to get himself together if he wants to be here to raise a child. Kimberly talks about what happened before Naeem passed away. At first, she didn't think it was too serious because he was going to Roxborough, a non-trauma hospital. So she called her daughter to go to the hospital because she was closer. Her daughter later said Naeem would be transported to Temple. Kimberly told her daughter to go with Naeem in the ambulance while she and her husband rushed to Temple on I-95. The events at Temple Hospital are something Kimberly will never forget. That's a, that's my son. And all I see is like a Dr. Warner Gurney over him and he's surrounded by doctors and nurses and they're telling me I can't touch him. You, mm-mm, this is my baby. And I bust through and I'm like, let me, I got to touch him. So I did touch his um foot and I'm screaming his name, Naeem, Naeem, get up. It's mom. It's mom. Come on. Come on, sonny boy. And it was an overreaction. And um, I just fell in the parking lot. And all I remember is the guard, my husband, coming over trying to get me up, taking me into the hospital in the emergency room. Naeem passed away that next day. Kimberly describes feeling trapped in a Lifetime movie, an experience she wouldn't wish on anyone. While Kimberly had a lot of intense feelings to process, she turned those feelings into a greater purpose. Kimberly runs an organization called NEEM, short for Never Ending Emotions. 
Neem helps people cope with grief, providing a judgment-free space for them to express their feelings. Kimberly offers practical support, like helping with resumes, encouraging family communication, and facilitating discussions to resolve conflicts. She's also an author with books like Where's My Daddy and a work in progress called Naeem, both addressing the emotional impact of loss. Where's My Daddy was initially for her grandson, but became a helpful resource for anyone searching for their father. Naeem is a chapter book inspired by her son, Naeem. Kimberly also writes obituaries focusing on the victims of violence. Those obituaries give loved ones a platform to remember and honor those lost to violence. Over the next few years, Kimberly had to navigate the emotionally taxing process of signing off on Naeem's organ donations, a journey that connected her to his legacy. So Naeem was a selfless young man who actually was an organ donor and it was on his driver's license. Me and him argued about him having it on his driver's license because, of course, I felt like he would be a target if anything happened to him. They would automatically not save him and harvest his organs. He said, if I take it off, you have to promise me if anything should happen to me that you would let them know I am an organ donor. And I said to him, why is it so important for you to be an organ donor? And he said, because if I'm going, at least I'll save someone else's life and they can live on. So him being an organ donor and when he... Um, untimely passed away. He saved seven people's lives. So his memory, his organs and all live on. And he's forever teaching, you know, me. Of those seven lives saved, Kimberly learned touching stories, a baby in need of a pancreas and a teacher in need of a liver. What once seemed like a conflicting choice for Kimberly now bore the fruit of Naeem's selflessness. Honestly, it made me smile like I was cheesing. You couldn't tell me I didn't hit the lottery because I didn't know the importance. Kimberly's journey continued, bringing her closer to the world of organ donation. I volunteered at the Gift of Life a couple of times before the pandemic and was able to serve meals to people waiting for organ donations and just interacting with the different people. The youngest person we met was a young, a little boy waiting for a heart. And him and my granddaughter were playing and they were like four or five years old. And she said, why do you hit a backpack one? And he explained to her, I'm waiting for a heart. And this is helping, keeping me alive. And I'm sitting there just amazed. I also met a 75-year-old man waiting for a double lung transplant. And he actually wrote a check for my organization. So just meeting people and seeing how how these people are affected and how the families are affected as well. It changed your perspective on life. It, it You walk away like, wow. Despite being overwhelmed by waves of grief due to Naeem's passing, Kimberly discovered that Naeem's legacy would endure. His impact would be felt through the lives he saved and the lessons inherent in his sentiments would be become evident. This lesson extends beyond tragedy, urging everyone to reflect on the profound influence of a simple yet powerful choice the decision to become an organ donor. Naeem's selflessness became a beacon of hope for those whose lives he touched and saved. Through Kimberly's words, we discover 
the enduring power of a choice made in the essence of giving. Seeing the testimony of those who have been saved, you can visit giftoflife.org. This is Rashi Dejamu for Block by Block. Earlier this month, thousands of people participated in Philadelphia's annual walk to end Alzheimer's. Block by Block reporter Connie Kahn spoke with some of the people who were a part of the walk. And Connie also spoke with Samantha Fox-Lewis, who volunteers as a community educator for the Alzheimer's Association and Community Engagement Chair for the Philadelphia Walk. Many participants have a personal connection to the issue. Connie says Samantha began volunteering after her grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and passed away last December. Can you give some background on the history of the Alzheimer's March? The Alzheimer's Association has been around for quite a few years and they have funded projects. But the only way to get the funding for the project is to do walks or other activities. Philadelphia is probably one of the longest that I know of. And we are definitely the largest in the country. I asked, how did the idea of marching start? Walks have been around for forever. They have proven to be beneficial for the organization, not only in terms of fundraising, but in getting awareness out. It's a way for friends, families, loved ones to all come out, support the cause, to be with each other. We've shared more stories in some circumstances and just knowledge that we're not in it alone. What kind of stories do you hear from marchers? So we always talk about our why. Why do you walk? I've heard stories of people who have dealt with their husbands their siblings, their parents, aunts and uncles, just any family member you can imagine has been impacted by this disease. Samantha explains the toll this disease has on the people who get it. Alzheimer's affects more than 6 million Americans currently, with one in three people over the age of 65 being diagnosed. It affects people over 65 primarily, but that doesn't mean if you're under 65, you're not going to be diagnosed. It is a debilitating disease that actually interferes with your daily life. I went to the march and spoke with marchers as to why they were walking. My name is Karen Foreman. I have two parents living with uh, Alzheimer's dementia. So I joined um, the association earlier this year to find more awareness about the disease and support those like myself who are caregivers for people living with dementia. Emily Stevens. So I am out with the Alzheimer's Association in honor of my grandmother who I lost last year. So this is a great time to come together as a community to end Alzheimer's and show our support for each other. Matthew Latanzio. Um, I lost my wife two years ago from early onset Alzheimer's. She was healthy, young, 45 years old, smart, healthy, worked out all the time. You know, it was something that just you know, we would never expect from a person like that that would happen. Chris Augustine for my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. My sister-in-law died in her early 50s. My mother-in-law died in her 90s, but they took care of her for 21 years. My mother-in-law was diagnosed in her early 70s. She lived to her 90s. They had four siblings, and they took care of her in their home for 21 years. It was very hard on all of us. And then his sister came down with it early. 
she died in her early 50s. Um, it's very sad, very sad disease. How do family members notice or realize that their spouse or their parent has Alzheimer's? So there are 10 warning signs that we talk about. The main one is the lack of memory that interferes with daily life. There are changes in moods. Ultimately, Alzheimer's is a amyloid plaque buildup in the brain. And through those plaque buildups, depending on where they start forming, can determine what symptoms you'll see first. But when something that you would consider a routine is not followed through with anymore, then maybe you need to look into why. When you're out organizing, what kind of reaction do you get from the public? Everybody is just thankful to know we're not alone. A lot of people don't realize because 50, 60 years ago, as people got older, they referred to them as senile. But it's not senility. This is something more than that. We're so, part of the Aloha Avengers, and we are a fundraising group for Alzheimer's and for Special Olympics of New Jersey. So we've had a team out here seven years at least we've come out here. We usually have at least eight to ten people. One year we had about 25, 30. So it's a great cause, very important and near and dear to all of our hearts. This is the largest walk in the United States. So it's beautiful to see the support and every year it gets bigger and better. So I think the awareness and the research and the funds that are raised just really help us to get to that end game of finding a cure. Now that we're advancing in science and research and now treatments are on the market, we are experiencing people coming out, sharing their stories, listening to other stories. How do you think this walk will help find a cure? So with the walk to end Alzheimer's being in various cities throughout the country, there have been so many advances in science from the funding that we've raised doing these walks. Last year, Philadelphia was number two in the country. I believe it was the $1.3 million we raised for our walk throughout the year. This is not just something that the United States is facing. This is a worldwide issue. So when we are raising these funds, we are supporting the research to find a cure everywhere in the world. I believe it was over $100 million this year the Alzheimer's Association has already paid towards researching in finding a cure. The treatments that are on the market today, there's three treatments that will help slow the progression of the disease. That never happened before. This is still within the last three, four years new. We will be able to support the funding needed to finding a cure. The marchers I spoke with stated what they hoped would happen because of their efforts. wish it would do something to stop this disease. It's terrible. You hear about it more and more, younger and younger. A cure. Um, I mean, there's advancements all the time. A lot of them seem to always putter out and, you know, hit a dead end and stuff. And it's like, I don't know, it's like it always seems like it's on the cusp of getting there. And then it just for whatever reason, doesn't happen. That other people will start to realize, I, I guess they talk about the disease and just how it's growing and how by what, 20, 30, the, how, the percentage of people that are going to have Alzheimer's and just let people know that they're not alone and there are resources out there and support and you just have to talk about it. There's a lot of us out here that know exactly what you're dealing with. 
Yeah, I think it's honestly just for community support and hope. I think hope that we can come together, we can raise money, we can educate people on this disease, the warning signs, what to look for, how to take care of people dealing with Alzheimer's, and also trying to find a cure. What can people do who are concerned and want to stop Alzheimer's? You fundraise your own event, even just an open donation to the Alzheimer's Association. You can come volunteer for the association like I do. But there's also ways that you can help outside of the organization. Personally, look for clinical trials. I know Penn has a great memory center. They have some clinical trials or will have some clinical trials because we can't get anywhere without knowing certain factors. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Please, 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 if you have a loved one that is experiencing memory loss, know that you are not alone. For years, people didn't know about the disease because there was some sort of a stigma around it. You are not alone. Come down and join us. We will welcome you with open arms. This is Connie Com for WPPM Radio 106.5 FM. Some people see flowers as a gift that carries a message like, I love you, get well soon, or congratulations. And some people use flowers to beautify their porch, yard, or public areas. To florists like Isaiah Reese, flowers are more than a job, hobby, gift, or decoration. They're art. Isaiah has been holding floral arrangement workshops since August to introduce people to the art of flower work. He spoke with Block by Block's Kirsten Adams about his work, workshop and budding floral community. Floral design is usually viewed for like the average person, I'd say, as like an endeavor to bequeath to someone else rather than a personal fulfillment, which I found a lot of personal fulfillment while doing it for a job and making flower arrangements for other people. And I was like, well, this is something that I feel like I should explore. Like if I'm getting this like heavy sense of like personal fulfillment when I'm making these arrangements and stepping back and seeing what I've created with my own hands and seeing how it's like made out of these like structures that like exist just around us on a day-to-day basis and you can take them and like harvest them and make them into something more than what they would be already and they already are in my opinion their own structure their own like contained art piece sitting outside cafe ole in old city isaiah and i catch up about flowers our favorite kind his are geranium minor lilacs pressing petals and the link between mortality and some people's disdain for flowers as we talked and rush hour traffic persisted we kept finding ourselves coming back to the same topic art and how Reese has found his art practice through floral arrangements. So it was just something that it just felt like a natural progression of like, I need to expand upon this feeling that I'm getting. I already enjoy providing this activity, like the end result for someone. Can I share it with them? Like, can I share the entire like process of this with a potential audience and have them get the same fulfillment that I would get from it and leave with a insight that they didn't already have? It's just uh, like, another added benefit like I just like compounding benefits on top of each other to make it as like a fulfilling of an endeavor as possible was my goal because a lot of people like just like view flowers as like something you pick up for someone it's like a gift rather than like the artistry behind the act of arranging a flower display and there are so many different ways you can do it 
I view it in like a similar aspect to like pottery in the sense that like there are different vessels that you can use and different uh, arrangements that you can put them in shapes and sizes and ways that can all convey different feelings and all kinds of different um, shapes which I find really riveting but it is very sculpture-esque in nature. I like the ephemeral nature of flowers, how short-lived they can be. I also love that there are methods to, if you so choose to, like drying or spraying them with a sphyxative or anything like that. A lot of people view them as like the ephemeral nature of them and like how quickly they can wilt as like a reason to not engage with them as being like a waste of time. And that was like the main thought behind my workshops being free for anybody who attends. I wanted there to be as little a barrier for entry as possible, and I knew that like financial commitments are a big issue when it comes to a lot of people, and like a lot of people that don't have the money set aside to like engage in like creative endeavors, and it's very stunting, it feels very draining, it's very frustrating. I didn't want there to be a situation where someone would see it, feel that spark of interest, and then feel like, ah, but I can't. Like I, I wanted there to always be the avenue where it's like, as long as you felt like you wanted to and you had the time you could do it because it's hard getting experience in the floral industry i've noticed that myself like getting into some of these flower shops like flower shops only need so many workers it's like if you're trying to like build yourself in the industry and you're not doing like freelance work and freelance work is you know it's seasonal it's dependent on a lot of different factors it's kind of hard to get your name out there i'm looking to like try and like build a sort of opportunity not only for people to like get interested in flowers from just like a pedestrian standpoint where it's just like I don't intend on working in the industry itself but I want to like build my own understanding of flowers and floral design and like build my own like confidence with working with flowers and then the people who are like I actually am interested in being in the industry I want to have a more uh, experience under my belt creating a sort of floral network within the city of Philadelphia would be like my end goal because I just could see a lot of potential for like this city being very bloomed and beautiful and I feel like that would be really cool to create and foster Reese says he hopes to continue providing floral arrangement workshops and expects the next set of workshops to begin around next spring or summer WURD is an African-American owned and operated radio station in Philadelphia that has been broadcasting both local and national news and talk shows for the black community every day for the last two decades. My co-host, Kathy Brown, spoke with WURD's marketing manager to get the 411 on this awesome station. The interview was conducted at the West Oak Lane Senior Center, where Kathy is the director. As a community activist, and organizer. I understand the importance of information being shared in our communities. That's one thing I really love about WURD radio station. They purposely bring us information and news and issues related to our community, and then they give it a spotlight and allow it to get discussed in detail. I love that they show up at West Oak Lane Senior Center My seniors are proud of the fact that they are willing to come into their space, spend some time, and allow their voices to be heard. It was important to me to shine a bright light on this awesome community treasure. My name is Kawesa Mathis. I am the Director of Marketing and Growth for Word Radio. What is Word for our community? Word is a lot. 
for the community. There are not enough words <laughs> to really put out there as far as what word means to the community and the impact of word for the community. One of the things for me that I you know, did not know about is how important it is for people to listen to the station. It has become a lifeline for so many people. People call in, they talk to us about their day, they talk to us about what's going on in their neighborhoods. They engage us just as much as we engage them. And having a radio station that is so fine-tuned to the struggles of black and brown people is so vitally important. And we need to be able to hear that constantly because when we are listening to mainstream media, we don't get a chance to hear about news and content and information and culture that is basically for us and by us. And so it is so important, you know, word radio to the community. So, yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit. I could keep going on and on, but that's a little bit. <laughs> no, that is amazing because we find it to be the same. We love the fact that you guys show up and show out in our communities, which shows your commitment to us as a people. So thank you for that. Could you please give us a little rundown of some of your programming for someone who has maybe limited time to listen, but this is one of the shows that you should listen to to stay plugged into our community? I might be a little bit biased. I actually was formerly the uh, Morning Drive producer, so I used to be on with Solomon Jones in the morning from 7 to 10. He is basically the flagship show of the station, and really, at the top of the show, he's hitting you hard with news and info that you need to really kind of move forward and propel and kind of think about the day. And so when he's giving you those several news stories that you need to be checking out and understanding and being knowledgeable about, I think that if you only have maybe even an hour, seven to eight or something like that, you can be tuned in and checking him out and, you know, understanding what it is that you need to be focusing on as a member of this community. And if you have a little bit more time, he's on from seven to 10, Monday through Friday. So you're always able to check him out in the morning. And so I see that you have a way to actually be a member yes. of the radio station. Yes. Can you explain to me what that means? We're trying to reach 2,000 members by the end of the year. That money pumps right back into the station. It allows for us to continue to be on the airwaves so that people can listen to us. You know, it continues to propel us forward. And so we've been in the game for 20 years, and we want to see another 20. And so that's what those memberships do. Now, if you happen to not have been on earth for a little bit and we don't know where to find you can you please tell us where to find you so yes there are so many ways to find us uh, if you have a regular old school radio 900 am 96.1 fm if you don't have a radio go right to wordradio.com you can listen live there also you can check us out on facebook we're usually streaming a lot of our shows live there and we also have a word radio app so you can go right into your app store and you can download the app and listen to us 24 7 if there's something that you need to get out to our community what would be the message you want to leave them with today support your people that's point blank period support your people support the radio station but also make sure that you are supporting black and brown folks in the community you have so many small business members who really need that help and need that support so support your people it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.
This season of Block by Block is produced by Kirsten Adams, Connie Com, E. Marie Lambert, Barbara Martin Ellis, Brett Roman Williams, and us. Rashida Jamu and Kathy Brown. Con- Connie Com is our board operator tonight. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM. Peter Liu is Radio Operations Manager. And Allison Dorham is WPPM's Radio Program Manager. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Block by Block, featuring more stories about issues affecting life in the Philly region. You can find past episodes of the show on Philly Cam SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>